February 15th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beza and Daf Vav Amud Aleph. If you count from the top of the Amud downward, it's 13 lines down. The last word on the line, Ravina. The Gemara, if you recall, was in the context of talking about Shenei Amim Tobim of Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara talked about how with regards to Met, we had a statement of Ravashe, Kehol the second of the two days, both on holidays and even on Rosh Hashanah, the second of those two days, the suggestion was Yikberu uh, Yisrael. Even members of Am Yisrael, Jews are allowed to be involved in almost all stages of the burial. Uh, the Gemara, in the midst of that, had a statement that with regards to Rava, who was claiming that the second day of Rosh Hashanah has this leniency with regards to burial, it nonetheless maintains its stringency when it comes to Rosh Hashanah by Besa. Remember the circumstance of Besa. Besa is that it was born, the egg, on the first day. It'll still be prohibited on the second day. But wait a second, on Yom Tob, on Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, the opinion that we understood is the accepted opinion was that if it's born on the first day, it'll be permitted on the second day. And the reason is because we envision it as sheteke dushot, two separate days, entities and units. As a result, if it was born on the first day, if the first day is the kadosh day, then the second day is the permitted day. If the first day was hal, well then of course on the second day, which is kodesh, it will be permitted if it was born already then. How come with regards to Rosh Hashanah it's different? Well, Rosh Hashanah we're envisioning as one unit, one Kiddushah. It's only with regards to burial that we had a certain leniency. The Gemara injected and it said, Nehardee Amre, and this is the critical line for us right now. Nehardee, the rabbis from Nehardea. Nehardea again was a, an academy, a place of dwelling, but of study of Torah in Bavel, their opinion was that even for Beza, even with regards to Rosh Hashanah, Contrary to the way everyone assumes Rosh Hashanah, of course, is one unit, it'll be envisioned as two separate units. If it was born on the first day, it'll be permitted on the second day. Why so? Nahardayah told us we have a tradition that from the days of Ezra HaSofer until today, Rosh Hashanah always falls on day 30 after the beginning of Elul. We won't find and don't find a Chodesh Me'ubar, meaning a 30-day month for Elul, which precedes, of course, Tishrei, the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, of, of, of the year. Well, that being the case, the Gemara picks up on that point. Again, uh, to put it in a sentence, whether Rosh Hashanah is to be envisioned, if you remember this terminology, as Kedushah Ahat, and as a result, the egg will be forbidden, or alternatively, it's Sheteh Kedushot, and as a result, the egg is permitted, a mahloket effectively between Rava and Nahardee. Says the, 29 days. No. no. That's right. That's right. Yep. Says the Gemara. Ravina havayativ kame de Rav Asher. Ravina was sitting in front of Rav Asher. These are the two rabbis whom we envision as the editors of the Gemara. Ravina and Rav Asher are last generation emoraim. So the two of them are together. Ravina watching Rav Asher. It was a two-day, of course, holiday of Rosh Hashanah, as it always is. And what we'll understand in just a moment is it fell out on Thursday and Friday. So he's sitting together with his friend, Rabbi, on Thursday and notices something Ravina does in Rav Atziv. Ravina notices that Rav Asheh is Atziv. Atziv, of course, means sad. Seems somber. Today's Rosh Hashanah. 
I don't uh, for a second uh, suspect that you're an Ashkenazi and you're sad on Rosh Hashanah. You must be Swaradi, you're living after all in Bavel. We're happy on Rosh Hashanah, that's right. Only I can get away with that, uh, with a big smile on my face. But of course, it is such a reality. Listen, Rosh Hashanah, as we mentioned, all the time is a day of ambivalent emotions for good reason. On the one hand, it's a day of judgment. On the other hand, we have a certain uh, certainty uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have a bitachon, that things are going to work out and that we're connecting to him and coronating him as king. So there are uh, two, two sides of those emotions. There's hareda, there's fear and trepidation, while at the same time there's a certain joyful side to it as well. We mentioned matters of uh, simcha, according to some of the geonim, you can't fast on Rosh Hashanah, the way we're in fact posek lahalacha. On the other hand, uh, the shofar is supposed to inspire us, instill within us a certain seriousness and repentance sort of thought. Anyway, with that being the case, him being specifically sad is out of the norm. It doesn't make sense that he's sad. He might be serious, might have trepidation, better than the Syrians do, right? And we might have seriousness, we, we lack in that one, most of us, uh, but sadness on Rosh Hashanah, wrong time for that. He says, Hazir dahava atziv. Amar le turns uh, Ravina and asks Ravashe, am I asiv mor? Why is it that you're sad? What's uh, disturbing you? Amar le de la otivi eruve tavshilin. The reason is otivi, well, we know that word already, like metive and etive, means to be meshiv, means to respond. Otivi, I wasn't, I didn't place, I didn't put in place. Eruve Tavshilin. Now, Eruve Tavshilin, we'll learn about later on in the Masechet. In fact, the law that we're about to read about, we'll really address when we get there later on in some 10 or so dapim. But uh, stated her quite simply, as I think most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with, Eruve Tavshilin is a circumstance where I'm going from Yom Tov into Shabbat, which I told you is the case over here, Thursday, Friday, into Shabbat. But I'm going from Yom Tov into Shabbat, and me or my wife or whoever's cooking for the family wants to be able to cook food for Shabbat. Now, in order to cook it all before, and especially in a time when you didn't have refrigeration, you didn't have freezers in the way that we have today, you really needed to do it right before. So you can't do it on Shabbat, you want to do it before, but you can't prepare for Shabbat from Yom Tov. So effectively, what the Hachamim instated, and we'll read about later on, is what's called Eruvet Tavshilin. We set aside, quote, the beginning of the Shabbat meal before Yom Tov. Many of us are familiar with how that's done today, but again, we'll deal with that. And then when on Yom Tov, I decide that I'm going to cook for Shabbat, I'm only adding to what I prepared even before Yom Tov. In such a circumstance, the mindset, according to the rabbis, permits doing so. Well, says Ravashet Ravina, my problem over here is Shema Israel, Rosh Hashanah is beautiful, and we're going to cook food for Rosh Hashanah, but I don't have food for Shabbat, no refrigeration, no freezer, I didn't prepare in advance, whatever the circumstance is, and I don't have an Eruv Tavshilin, I don't have an Eruv Tavshilin. How are we going to enjoy Shabbat? That's what's disturbing me. Says Ravina to Ravashet, this shouldn't really disturb you. Amar le mor ha'idna, or ha'idna. Why don't you now place the Eruv Tavshilin? Now, already on holiday. The idea of Eruv Tavshilin, as I mentioned earlier, is before the holiday, I began, I put quotation marks, I began my meal, and I'm only continuing to cook it on the holiday. But I didn't begin my meal beforehand. Don't you know, Ravashe? Aren't you familiar with the reality that Rava's statement is? What's permitted to do, and we'll discuss why in a moment, is to place your Eruve Tavshilin on the first day of the holiday with a conditional statement 
or thought. What does that mean? It goes like this. Let's remember again the two days of holiday. We're imagining, for good reason, that to talk about Pesach, Shavuot, or Sukkot. One of those days is certainly has the sanctity of holiday. The Torah says there's only one day of holiday at the beginning. And the next day is Hol. Hol HaMo'ed, let's call it. Or the first day was Hol, and the second day is holiday. So here's what you can do, says Rava. It's first day, and Uli, I'm living in Chutz Laharetz. I forgot to do. Thursday. Listen to Hala. Second day, you can't do it. First day you could do it because first day you make the following condition. If today th- you're supposed to do it from Wednesday, you're standing on Thursday. Shema Israel, I forgot to do it. That's a place the Eruvet Tavshili now goes like this. If today is holiday, then tomorrow's hall. I don't need an Eruvet Tavshili. If today is hall and tomorrow's holiday, so here's my Eruvet Tavshili for tomorrow. So you, you solved it like that. If you're at the very least on the first day of a two-day holiday and you have Shabbat coming afterwards, one of these three-day weekends, you know, three-day holy day weekends. First day of the holiday, there was some show. How could you do anything for tomorrow? You're doing an Eruvet Tavshilin and you're saying, if today's holiday, this is nothing. If, if today's holiday, what am I doing? I'm putting some matzot in an egg. I put, I put a matzah in an egg on the side. I'm saying it's insignificant. I'm not actually preparing. Oh, I can make such a condition. That's what you could do. So turns Ravinat Ravashen. He says, "My what's the reason that more is asiv? Why is it that am I asiv more? Why are you sad? What's giving you this somber nature? I have a solution. You know the solution, Rava's solution. Just put the eruvet tavshili and the eruv tavshili today." Amar le responds Ravashen to Ravinat. Says, "Forgot, my my friend, my rabbi uh, colleague." We're not talking about holiday right now. We're on Rosh Hashanah, as we pre- as I mentioned at the beginning. Amar le'emar de'amar rava b'shnei yamim tovim shel galiot. This is the statement of rava I can accept and I understand. And I would even tell you he specifically made it in the context of shnei yamim tovim shel galiot, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. In those circumstances, shetekedushot, using the halachic terminology that we know already, two separate units. Two separate units, if today's Kodesh, tomorrow's Chol. If today's Chol, tomorrow's Kodesh. We're accepting them both, we're doing minhag even when we know which one of those is. But ultimately speaking, there is only one day that's a holiday. Uh, we're treating them both as holiday, but it's two separate entities that we treat. However, did Rava, could Rava make such a statement, such a bold statement about Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is qualitatively different. Rosh Hashanah, you can't make a condition of such a sort. Well, if today's Kodesh, well then uh, tomorrow I'm preparing on a holiday. If today's hold, then tomorrow's Kodesh. It's not the way it works. Rosh Hashanah is one 48-hour period called Kedushah Hat. You can't put Eruvet Shilin on, on, uh, on the first day of the holiday because the first day of the holiday is the only day of the holiday. What are you talking about? It's Thursday, Friday. Friday, you said, that's right, Thursday, Friday with a dash in the middle, it's a one-day holiday. Oh, it was two, 48 hours. 48 hours, which is one day, halachically speaking. Kedushah Hat, you can't do Eruv Tavshilin. That's why I'm sad, says Ravashet to Ravina. Says Ravina back to him, says, one second, my rabbi, my colleague. amre The way we began the class, remember? The statement of the rabbis from went as follows. They claimed that even Rosh Hashanah is Shete Kedushot. What was the reasoning, right, Charlie? The reasoning was because from the days of Ezra, we 
are fairly aware, if not altogether certain, that Elul will be 29 days and day 30 is Rosh Hashanah. We keep both days, but we keep both days just like we keep both days of any other holiday. It's not one unit. And so Ravina turns to Ravash and says, Why would you distinguish? You're claiming that Ravah's statement about Eruv Tavshilin on the holiday only relevant to Yom Tov Sheni of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot? Why wouldn't you apply to Rosh Hashanah? After all, according to Nahar Da'eh, Betzah, Shenoda Biyom Rishon is Muteret Biyom Sheni. Put in the easier words, Shete Kedushot, Amar Li, excuse me, says the Gemara, Amar Le, Rav Mordechai, Rav Mordechai. Uh, chimes in, and Rav Mordechai appears to be the student or the defender for one reason or another of Rav Hashem. He says, Beferush Amar Limor. He says explicitly, I heard from Mor, from my master. Who's my master in this context? Rav His opinion was not like Nahar that when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, and again, as we've mentioned more than once, this is how we're posek, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we see it as different, distinct, its own unique character, even Bizman Azeh, Kedushah Ahad. As a result, Rav Asher turns back to Ravina and maybe with a smile says, can I be invited over for dinner on Shabbat? In other words, effectively, he has no solution over here. That's why he said he has no way of dealing with this. doesn't want to be sad on Rosh Hashanah, but there's no way of circumventing, of getting around this issue with regards to Kedushah Ahat of Rosh Hashanah, which again stands in contradistinction. It's different than Shenei Yamim Tobim in general. Again, I, I think many of us walked into Masechet uh, Beitzah, whether we had foreknowledge of these sorts of details or not. Everybody knows Rosh Hashanah is different than the other holidays. Usually the marker for that is, we know in Israel they keep two days even for Rosh Hashanah, which is a decent marker. Again, we discussed it's not necessarily the marker. They might keep two days in the way that we keep two days for Shenei Amim Tobim if we maintain that it's Shetei Kedushot. But regardless, that's what we have. Go ahead. The second day, period the Rebbe Once I envision it as Kedusha Ahat, there's no such Sevarot, there's no such opening, there's no second day, it's one day. You're not going to allow that. Why can't they tap into the loophole that they're using for someone passing away? Kabod Hamet, Kabod Hamet's going to trump all else. Well, again, I understood. All right, Onik Shabbat. Firstly, Onik Shabbat, we are all assuming is some sort of mitzvah from the Torah. Shabbat's an important day. Onik Shabbat's not a mitzvah from the Torah. Onik Shabbat refers to the pleasant, uh, peaceful, and enjoyable spirit of Shabbat. Pasuk in Sefer Yeshaya, Avikarata la Shabbat Onik, Viktosh Adonai Mechubad, Chibad Tome Azot Erechecha, Zohev Sechavedabedava. That's where we derive it from. In terms of Shabbat in the, in the narrow biblical sense, what does the Torah tell us? Zachor et Yom HaShabbat Lekadejo, and not Te'ase Komelacha. That's it. Isur Melacha and mentioning the sanctity of Shabbat, Kiddush and Havdalah, we assume, as well as not to abstain from all those other sorts of Melachot. I'd love for us to enjoy the day. We call that Divrei Nevi'im. We call that a mitzvah from the Nevi'im. Not going to be so simple to transgress uh, this sort of matter, even for Onik Shabbat. Kavod HaMet is above and beyond. When we talk about the sanctity of the human body, it's above and beyond 
not Kiddushat Shabbat, but Onik Shabbat, that enjoyable nature of Shabbat. We're not going to be fasting, ultimately speaking. We're just not going to have the great food. And like I said, maybe Ravina will even invite him over. Anyway, furthermore, as we'll see later on, you have something you could bank on, provided that the leader of the community of the congregation laid their Eruvet Tavshinim. We just don't really want to get into such a situation, as we'll deal with when we really talk about Eruv Tavshilin at greater length later in the Masech. It says the Gemara Itmar. Uh, so even till now, for good reason, been talking about a betash in Oldabiyom Tov. Uh, what we haven't talked about, although we've uh, maybe one or two people have asked this sort of question, I'm sure more than one have imagined this sort of uh, circumstance. What about the birth of a chick on Yom Tov? Not, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean it when I tell you this, way tend up being. And, and we'll deal with it. You can already see, just in terms of, you know, if you want the directions, you see next to the words Amarava, there's a little letter next to Maniach, that little He. That already tells you it's going to be Halakha Maaseh. Again, I don't want to simplify without seeing the sugya fully. Not too much of a sugya Eruv Tafshilin, not even as complicated as the beginning of the Masechet. Will will hopefully sufficiently address it then. So it says the Gemara Itmar again. So instead of just talking about, or instead of at all talking about the birth of an egg, what about the hatching of a chick? Which means to say, the holiday enters and there's an egg, but the egg has in it uh, unfertilized yet a chick. Uh, as the day begins, uh, the crack uh, appears in the egg, and as it uh, progresses, opens up and there's a chick. And I want to eat the chick. I guess people eat chicks. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's a delicacy. And uh, the, what's the status of that chick, which again wasn't present, wasn't for all intents and purposes alive as I entered into the day of Yom Tov? Uh, well, what's the status in such a situation? Leave Rosh Hashanah out of the picture for now. Regular Yom Tov. Now, when it came to the Beitzah Shinolda, we had all sorts of reasons. Maybe Mukseh, maybe Hachana, maybe those Gezerot Medrab Banan. Most of those will not be relevant per se to a chick. Maybe Mukseh will be. I'll just take a, a quick moment to talk about how do we determine these sorts of issues. And there's, there's words in the Gemara elsewhere, and Rashi will quote these words throughout the Masechet. At what juncture, at what point do we say something was, so to speak, alive and present? As we've said, the idea of Mukseh means it wasn't present entering into the day. That's exactly the point. It has to be what we call it as Ben Hashem Ashot. At the period, which is the transition from Erev Yom Tob, into Yom Tob was this entity, this life, this reality in place or not. When it came to the egg, that's what we struggled with and we assumed it was not, the egg wasn't around. Well, maybe it was dependent, was the Tarnigolet, Omedet La'achila, Omedet Le'gadil Betzim, but ultimately speaking, that's the juncture. We call this Ben Hashem Ashot. Was it Huksa Ben Hashem Ashot or not? The idea of Ben Hashem Ashot in Judaism, just for a one-minute tangent over here, is a critical uh, idea because Ben Hashem Ashot represents, again, transitional period. For our purposes, imagine what it's telling us. If you haven't prepared this then, if you don't have it in mind, can't wrap your head, hand around it maybe at that time, well, then it's not existent. The truth is, transitional periods we in Judaism, generally speaking, associate with godliness. That is the divine realm. You and I, we work in time. I could tell you what happened in this second. I could tell you what happens in the next second. I can trace backwards. But what about the 
the, the space in between. It's fleeting. It is fleeting. What about that space in between? That's just to portray it to you. And what I'm trying to get across is the Mishnah and Masechet Avot, a well-known Mishnah says, okay, we know what was created during the six days of creation. We know that on Shabbat, okay, maybe Minuha, peaceful uh, serenity was brought forth on Shabbat. What was brought forth on Ben Hashem Ashot of Friday? So human beings were created on Friday and so forth, but what about Ben Hashem Ashot? Says the Mishnah, I'll tell you the types of things that came about then. The Luchot, the first Luchot, Ma'aseh Elohim Hema. You want to know what else? The mouth of uh, the Aton of, uh, of Bil'am. Uh, furthermore, the ground which swallowed up Korah, do you follow the theme? These are all descriptions of, and so forth, all descriptions of miracles. God, direct involvement, nothing human beings actually can put their hand on. Transitions, and again, I say it all the time, transitions are the most challenging as human beings because we can't control them. It's why children or people who struggle with anxiety have most difficulty during transitions. Transitions, you can't put your hand on it. I know what happened now, I know what's going to happen now, but what about the in-between stage? That's the divine realm. It's the, the Mikubalim call it the realm of the Ayn, Ayn, Aleph, Yod, Nun, the nothingness. Nothingness, ironically, is what it's all about. That's where you find God. If you focus carefully in your own life, well, I know I was productive in my action over here. I know I benefited over there. What happened in the interim? Well, I can explain X, Y, Z. You can't explain it all. If you can't explain it all, that's the Ayin domain. Lehavdil. Mamash lehavdil. But uh, it's very much so. Uh, Lehavdil, in a different direction, there is a scientist debate, you know, creation of the world, and they talk about a Big Bang Theory. And it makes a lot of religious Jews, for good reason, uh, very nervous. Well, where'd you put God in this whole thing? There are books that are written afterwards, and they say, listen, we can maybe square, maybe square such a theory with our Torah, even though it hasn't been fully, maybe we can figure out how this all goes about, but where did I find God? It seems so natural. There's a moment in time, seconds, that the scientists admit to, we don't know what happened in that time. At the current moment, what we say is, that's God. That's the transition. That's the ayin. So we could say, listen, God brought about in a natural fashion something that exploded. And the Torah describes it in a particular way so we understand it's purposeful. It was God's involvement. Oh, what do you mean? How do you fit that into the science books? You fit into the science books because there's transition. Transition is the moment of divine involvement. It's when it's not just nature happening. It's when you went from inanimate to life. It's when you went from uh, a chick that had nothing in it, or for all intents and purposes, unfertilized uh, uh, a chick, and now an actual chick, the egg went from one stage to another. That's the ayin, that's the moment of divine involvement. And as a result, we state in halakha, in many circumstances, what's ben Hashem Ashot? It's neither day nor night. Oh, it's neither day nor night. I'm a human being. I speak in, I try to at least, in clear terminology. Is it day or is it? It's neither. It's divine realm. As a result, what's the status Ben Hashem Ashot with regards to this chick? Well, this chick is not about, about in Ben Hashem Ashot. At that moment, my hands can't hold on to the chick. That might be a problem of Mukseh. That's what we have going on over here and throughout the Masechet for all intents and purposes. Says the Gemara, Itmar, we had the following statement in the Midrash. Efroah shenolad biyom tov. If a chick was born on Yom Tov, Ravamar Asur, First opinion, that of Rav, is more easily understandable. He states that the Efrawah, again a chick, which is born on Yom Tov, Asur. 
We talked about Beza. We didn't talk about Efroa. We haven't talked about Czech yet, believe it or not. Yeah, which makes a mm, interesting, interesting, right? Morris points out, it brings us back to the first Tosafot in the Masechet, our first Mishnah talked about, can you eat or can you not eat? For all intents and purposes, we're really talking about, are you allowed to use that egg? In fact, uh, as Morris Bannon will remind us, the egg might even be talking about an ostrich egg, and you might even not be eating it at all. It's not kosher, but you're placing it underneath your... Uh, uh, Morris wanted me to point out as well that according to his research, his reading, up to 500 pounds can rest on an ostrich egg. So don't make fun of the Gemara when the Gemara says, you could be a heavy person with a heavy bed, up to 500 pounds. He said, the archaeological digs in Israel until today is what he showed me. So he even gave me the article to read. I haven't read it yet. But uh, these eggs are still about, they're still intact because they they're able to take so much pressure. Anyway, that's, that's an interesting point. Takes you back to that conversation in Tosafot. But anyway, so Rav, who states, Asur, I think we understand, will say something along the lines of Mukseh. It wasn't ready, Ben Hashem Ajot. It wasn't about what you have. You had an egg with something inside of it. How do you explain Shimuel? Those those words, itema, itema, is a compound word. E, if, tema, you'll say. In other words, we're uncertain. It was either Shimuel or the Biohanan. How'd that get lost? Torah Shbalpe, Torah Shbalpe, we're uncertain exactly. It doesn't matter if it's a chick laying uh, chicken. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter with what. What are you asking? I'm asking if my mind is on the chicks. So, so, uh, so uh, now I understand what you're saying. Uh, Jared says, apparently the Gemara is stating, according to Rav, even if it's a ternegolet, ha'omedet, legadel be'zim, remember those words? Its purpose is to bring forth eggs. This is too far removed because my mind was on the eggs. My mind wasn't, per se, on the chick, which is going to hatch out of that egg. Indeed, good point. Says the Gemara, uh, let's, what's that? I, I'm not certain people don't today. I said maybe it's a delicacy. My bad. What is a chick exactly? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Alan, you're the type of guy who could help us with this. You have to slaughter it and eat it. The question. All right, we need Boris Bannon's research. He'll tell us about ancient civilizations who ate chicks. Mabadaful, I know, like I said, maybe it's a delicacy today. I, I don't know. Uh, but the answer is yes. It's clear from the Gemara they were eating it. That's a, all right, so that's what we have here. Says the Gemara, uh, says the Gemara let's break down these two opinions. Rav Amar Asur Muksehu. The opinion of Rav that it's Asur, his reasoning is it's Mukseh. Again, that, that much I think we understand. It's Mukseh. It wasn't prepared uh, at the time of Ben Hashem Ashot. And in turn, it's pro- pro- prohibited. Now, what about the other two opinions? Or the other opinion when uncertain? Ushmuel bi'temar bi'ohanan amar mutar ho'il since umatir asmo b'shechita. Ho'il sins umatir atzmo b'shechita. The statement goes as follows. The statement is the fact that after birth, this chick on holiday can be permitted, again, let's assume it was alive, with slaughtering. When I enter into the day, you're still missing a certain action. The slaughtering to a chicken and in turn to a chick gives it a whole new status. It was prohibited to eat beforehand and now it's permitted. 
Not only was it prohibited because it was alive, it was prohibited in this circumstance because it was considered muksed. The fact that the slaughtering is almost a magical act, it's an act in which God empowers us to make something permitted, that extends furthermore to say it's matir, this isur of muksed. You're allowed once it naturally hatches. You can't crack it open in order to bring it out. Once it naturally hatches, you're allowed to slaughter at whatever age. Assuming you're able to. Retroactively, we now say this was a matter which was somehow muhan. Yeah. That's. Morris just says, Morris just says, Ben Hashem Ashot, when I have the chicken alive, hen, whatever, yeah. rooster. I said, okay, I had it in my mind, I'm going to slaughter it. This chick, which wasn't alive in Ben Hashem Ashot, so yes, I can slaughter the chicken and say it wasn't much. You didn't have it in your mind because it wasn't around, right? So yes, you're right. The extension, but it's an extension. That's what he's pointing out. The fact that I can slaughter and permit makes it that there wasn't this issue per se of mukse. I will tell you, Tosafot asked a very basic question about this. Tosafot says, I don't understand. You know, we, we spent a good, I know it was some time ago, but we spent a good amount of time. That's uh, interesting, not, not per se, but the, the, the more simple angle on why it should be mutar. We had a mahloket on dafbet, amudal, famutbet, kimal amudal, about whether this entity, this concept called mukseh, is a reality on Yom Tov. This sort of mukseh. Mahloket biudar and bishimon. So I got it. Rav, you told me asur mukseh. That's one opinion. But we have another opinion. It's Rabbi Uda's opinion that mukseh is asur. That's why we have two opinions. So why is it then that the Gemara says, excuse me, that, like Rabbi Shimon, that it's Asur. So why is it that the Gemara has to say, oh, I got a reason. It's a clever reason that Morris is going to ask a question and Jared's going to have to defend. Just say, one opinion says Asur, Mukse. The other opinion says, not Mukse. So Tosafot gives two answers. The first answer, a little less fundamental. The second one begins a more fundamental concept, which we'll address at its later point, potentially, in the Masih. The first answer of Tosafot is, listen, we're trying to defend this, even according to the opinion who maintains that of, uh, of Rabbi Huda, that Muqseh is Asur. So even according to the opinion, excuse me, of Rabbi Shimon, uh, of, of yeah. what's his name, Rabbi Huda, who says Muqseh is Asur, I want to say, but over here, since you can slaughter it, it's different. Uh, that, that works. Alternatively, says Tosafot, there are different stages and levels of mukseh. And even according to Rabbi Shimon, who's going to permit mukseh, there are circumstances where he won't. For example, Tosafot gives the example uh, from uh, in Masechet Shabbat and elsewhere called Grogerot and Simukim. That's, uh, that's right, but you're dealing with uh, the, what's it called, the raisins that are coming into being. When you have raisins coming into being, you're not touching those raisins. When you enter into the Yom Tov, they're so out of state and out of mind and out of any of your consciousness, you know those are untouchable items. They have, what's that? Says Jared, the specific reasons that they're so out of state, out of your mind is because they're so inedible, they're almost as if they're non-existent beyond something that's going to come about but isn't here yet. And as a result, even according to the permitting opinion of Mukseh, you'd need a reasoning in our Gemara of Ho'ilu Matir Asmo Okay, continues the Gemara, says, Amale Rav Kana V'ravaseh Le'Rav. Rav, who's the opinion who says, the Efroach Shenolad Beyom Tob is Asur. The challenge in turn from Rav Kana and Ravaseh to him 
is vechima ben ze le'egel shenolad b'yom tov? How do you distinguish rav? You forbade an egg which hatched on yom tov. How do you distinguish between that and a beraita? We'll learn on amud bet and later on again the masechet. An egel, a calf, which is born on the holiday. Everybody seems to agree that if a calf is born on the holiday, you're a step ahead of me, Nathan, as usual. A calf which is born on the holiday, you're allowed to slaughter. We don't say that's mukseh. So if you don't say that's mukseh, then how come you're stating that this egg, which hatched, is mukseh? What came out of it? Why is it any different? Maybe. Okay, all right. Same direction. Says again, says the Gemara Amre, Le Rav Kahana, Vravase, Le Rav. Vechima Benzele Egel, Shinolad Biom Tov, which again, we don't fill in the, the details, but in parentheses, which we'll read in a Beraita on the next page is permitted. Maybe our article fills it out. Amar Lehu, Rashi fills it out. Amar Lehu, he responds, Rav does to the challengers. Ho'il Umuchan, there are the words, Nathan, Agav Imo. The reason this um, uh, egel, the calf, is different than the egg is because the calf, go back to our Ben Hashem time, the divine period entering the day, when I look at that animal, I say, whatever's inside of it is an extension of it. It's what we call obar yerechimo, to the extent that it's not only that it's an extension in a conceptual, it's practically so. What do I mean practically so? If you slaughter an animal, a para, and comes out, you open it up, and there was an eagle inside, and it's still maying and braying inside of it, or whatever, you don't need to slaughter the eagle inside of it. One more time. Took a larger animal, I slaughter it kosher, kadat v'kadin, whatever's found inside, I can now kill it however I like. I'd like to do it in a nice, peaceful way, but you don't need to do the laws of shechita any longer. Why not? Because my slaughtering on the mother was a slaughtering on the child, even though I didn't kill the child with that slaughtering. That's an amazing statement, but it means so much. It's a statement called Ubar Yerech Imo. Yerech is like the thigh. We look at the child as if it's the thigh, the extension of the mother. That's one piece of meat. So I did my slaughtering. I guess I can't eat it. What's that? I, I purposefully said it the way I said it. You slaughtered it, you opened it up, and there it was. Well, that being the case, that's... What's that? No, no. The mother's dead. That's the child. You, you open it up, you kill it, but it's like, no, you don't do shechita. I didn't want to talk so graphically, but yes, in the words of Mars, you could shoot it in the head. I don't want anyone shoot. Um, I don't know, Eli, but I don't want anyone uh, shooting anything. No, I, I, I don't know the rights. I'm scared of guns. But uh, And you can eat it, 100%. That's what's called ben pakua. It comes up in today's day and age with regards to, because they have also the kashrut organizations are playing with ideas with regards to this, maybe starting better, uh, another conversation. But for our purposes, Rav then says to us, the following clear statement, he says, I'll tell you why my Betzah situation, which was turned into an Efroah, it hatches, and what comes out of it, a chick, that's Mukseh. You're asking me from an Egel Shenolad, the Egel Shenolad was, uh, was on my mind when I entered, on your mind when you entered the day, you didn't see it, just like you didn't see this, uh, this chick. I did see it, I saw the mother, this is only an extension of the mother, so much so that if I just slaughtered the mother, it's as if I slaughtered the child, so that's a state. Amar lehu, he responds, Hu'ilu muhan agav, literally means on the back, of, but as a result of imo, uh, because of the mother of umukhanagav imo b'shechita with slaughtering. Says the Gemara. Lastly, uma benzele egel shenolad min haterefa. Says the Gemara. Shatik rav. The claim in turn to him went like this. Wait a second. What about an egel? 
Egel again is the calf, which was born to a terefa. A terefa means the animal uh, is, is not kosher. There are, there's a whole slew of 18 simane uh, terefa. There's circumstances where we say an animal, uh, because the brain, because the lungs, because something in the animal is blemished, it's not kosher, it's unhealthy, it's not kosher. What if an egel on Yom Tob, a calf, is born to a terefa? The mother, if you slaughter it, you can't eat it. In turn, the child, well, what are you effectively doing in such a circumstance? But nonetheless, nonetheless, the halakha is that if the egel comes out, the egel is permitted to slaughter and eat on the day. You see, the reason it's permitted is not because of the slaughtering of the mother. Slaughtering of the mother wouldn't do anything. The mother's not kosher anyway. And nonetheless, we're saying that the egel is permitted when it comes out of a terefa. You see, Rav, when something comes forth, irrespective of where it comes forth from, and it has life on holiday, it's permitted. That's a claim against you who said that if the chick is born on the holiday, it's prohibited. Says the Gemara, and we'll return to this tomorrow. Shatik Rav. Rav was silent in that moment, seemingly stunted by their claim. Baruch Adonai, the Olam, Amen, 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 Am